Hey everybody, it's Pastor Dylan and welcome to the Dayspring Wesleyan Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take the time to download our church app. It's the best way to stay connected to the life of the church. All you have to do is go to the app store, search for Church Center, download and enter the information for our church. You will then be connected to our church community. I hope the following presentation inspires you to move closer to God in this journey we call faith. Enjoy. Good morning, church. I'm glad all of you could make it in this snowy day that we had and cold. I don't know what's going on with the weather around here, but it's good, a little up and down on us. So, and I know some of you that's probably affecting you with headaches and all that. So we're praying for you, and uh, I am glad and excited that you are here today as we continue our study. A couple of announcements that we have. The Easter love offering. For some of you that are new, we don't want you even to worry about that offering. This is something that the church has been doing, again, since I was um, a junior in high school. And it's something that we've been trying to do to help um, pay off debt. It's what, we, uh, it's what we build all these facilities with. And so uh, if you've been here for a while and trying to figure out what that's all about, that's why we had that video played for you. We also wanted you to know that um, we are planning a work day for, before Easter. And anybody that would be willing to help on that, we have a sign-up sheet out there in the lobby. Or you can find it on your phone as well. What we're trying to do is get some landscaping things done. Uh, so we're trying to get a bunch of help on the same day. We need to tighten up some of our furniture and some of the other wings, and then we'd like to just do like a big spring cleaning thing and stuff. So if you're available and willing to help, we'll find a job for you to do, but we'd love to do that. And I can't remember exact date on that, so it's out in the lobby, and uh, you can find that. And, if, and again, or it's on your app as well to sign up. Uh, we're going ahead with our next study here. And um, as you know, we've been studying the seven statements of, of Jesus on the cross, and we've been talking about walking through these different decisions that he made because we all have choices to make, and there's different doors that we open, there's different doors that we close. And Jesus, when he was on basically his deathbed, began to make some statements early on. Now, I don't know about you, but um, uh, any of you like amusement parks? Okay, I do. I used to hate them. Uh, but when I became a youth pastor, I realized that I was going to have to start liking roller coasters because I just figured they were going to make me do them. So, so I started doing this. Well, we were on a trip with the teens uh, when I was a youth pastor here. And when we were on this trip, uh, it was, we were taking our puppet team, and we had a puppet team that did ministries at different places. And then we'd always have like a fun day. And so the leader decided that she was going to take us to this amusement park that we have never been to. And she thought it was going to be really cool because they had a little uh, sky lift going up to the mountain, sort of like a ski lift, and it was going to go up to the mountain. And as we were going up this thing, now remember, I'm, I'm already scared of heights anyways, uh, but going up on a ski lift just doesn't seem wise to me because I keep thinking, it's just like one wire, right? I mean, if that thing snaps, we all go down. I mean, that's like my, the way my mind plays with me. So as we're going up this hill, all I can see is like tools and parts and pieces of things just laying kind of all over. And that's what we were heading up to. And I was like, is this even safe at this point? You know? So we get up to this place in this music apartment. And it's basically on the top of this hill. Um, she thought it was really cool. I did not because as I came to some of the roller coasters, again, there were bits and pieces laying on the track. So in my mind, I was already sort of nervous about what was taking place. So I decided to only do rides that were close to the ground and what I considered safe. So we went into this one room, and I don't know what it was. I would say it's kind of like a scrambler where they just whip you around and spin you around in circles. We went in this place, and I have to tell you, I've never been more scared in my life. And the reason why, it wasn't so much the ride as it was the guy who was operating the ride. And when we got on there, they shut all the lights off in the place. They just started whipping us around, and they just started playing music that I thought was of the devil. 
I mean, it was just sort of this creepy, weird stuff. The guy who put us on there was weird. And I kept thinking to every horror movie I've ever seen, which isn't a lot because I don't like that either. But all of a sudden I was thinking, we've been sitting here to die. Like, that's all I thought. And I think the guy, because there wasn't anybody else in this music park for us, I think he decided that it would be nice to keep it going and going. And I mean, I'm getting sicker and sicker. The lights are strobing and it's black. And I'm hearing this, what I consider devil music. And I mean, honestly, I thought I was being sacrificed this day, you know? And it, and it just felt like it was going on and on. And I have, I'm, honestly, I've never prayed so much in my life. You know, I was like, Lord, if you could just get me out of here, please miraculously stop this thing. You're going to send your angels over us. And man, I mean, in that moment, it just felt like nothing, nothing was happening. And eventually the ride stopped. And I was like, nope, not doing another ride here. That's for sure. You know, so I got off of that ride. And even though that sort of like can be a funny story or maybe, you know, some of you can identify with being on rides and being scared. I think what Jesus was facing on the cross was an intense amount of pain, it was an intense amount of loneliness, and it was an intense amount of darkness that was happening. Jesus was now on the cross. And if you remember, before he went on that cross, and before he was arrested, there was a moment that he was in a garden, he was praying to God. And he spent this evening just praying and praying over and over again. It says he was praying with such intensity that it said it literally he was, he was, he was sweating blood because of the intensity of his prayers. And in that prayers, as he was there, he was recognizing that I'm going to have to give my life eventually. And, and as he was thinking about the weight of sin that would be on him, and as he was thinking about the torture that he would go through, he prays to his father, Father, if there's any other way, please take this burden from me. He began to deal with the burden that he was going to have to face. And now Jesus has finally come to that place where he's feeling that burden on the cross. We've talked the last several weeks. And those last several weeks we've talked, those were dealing with like three hours of his life in agony on the cross. He's enduring that total burden, that total amount of darkness, that total amount of abandonment in that moment for you and I. And in that three hours, we read that he only made three statements. And those three statements, again, were in reaction to what was going on. The first statement was in reaction to being beaten and having the nails put in his hands and his feet. And the statement he made is, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He again reacts to thieves that are hanging on the cross and one thief thinks he's a liar, he's really not the son of God and challenging him as the savior and the other thief comes to the realization after seeing everything that he's gone through, after seeing him say, Father, forgive them, he comes to the realization that he is the savior and he cries out to Jesus, 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 will you remember me? And Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then last week we talked about a mother Mary, who was kneeling before the cross in this pain and anguish of seeing her son tortured and stripped of everything. And he sees the disciple John with her. And he looks at his mom. Probably would have pointed to John if he could, but his hands were nailed there. And he says, dear woman, looking at John, and says, there's your son. And looks at John and says, John, and there's your mother. And then we read that John went and took care of her from then on. Now the last several statements he makes are all within a short period of time. 
because he's nearing the point of death. So death will come quickly, but Jesus chose to say something again. So let's read this together. We're going to read today from Matthew chapter 15, verses 33 through 39. It says, At noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they cried, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he had died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your words that were written so long ago. And yet, they still have a relevance to us today. I pray, Father, that as we would examine our own situations, as we would examine our own dark times, that we would recognize a high priest who experienced all the pain and torture that we do, and even more, so that we know that we have an advocate, someone that who can go to the Father for us, someone who pleads on our behalf. And I pray that we would make decisions that are eternal today, and that we would be challenged in our own thinking and our own way of doing things. Father, I pray that your words would be heard and not mine. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's look at this passage a little bit together. I think it's interesting as we look at verse 33, and he says this, At noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The point here is just simply this. Darkness comes, doesn't it? I mean, darkness comes in our life. And if you look at the Old Testament sort of idea of darkness, what you need to understand is darkness is always a sign of God's judgment. So in verse 33, when we read from noon to three, what you and I need to understand is this is a supernatural event that is happening. Because at noontime, it's not like you see darkness unless there is a storm coming. And in this case, all of a sudden, it had been light out, and then we read that darkness covered the whole earth, or the earth as they knew it at that time. And so darkness was raining down. This was a sign of God's judgment. Now listen, there's other places in, this, in, in, in the Bible where we're, to, where we're told about darkness being a sign of judgment. For example, if you look in Exodus 10, 21 through um, 22, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days days. Have you ever had a time period like that where you would experience that? I mean, it's one of the most depressing things. They actually say that in some of our world where you're in darkness all the time, people are more apt to be depressed in those situations. And because the darkness just overcomes them, there's a heaviness and there's a weight that's felt. But this was the ninth plague in Egypt before the Israelites were freed. And darkness came over the whole earth and they knew that that was a sign of judgment. Amos 8, 9 says this, and that day declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Isn't that interesting? Written way before Jesus ever comes, 
is a prophet who announces what will happen, that darkness will cover the earth at noon. And at noon that day, darkness covered the earth. I think it's interesting, too. I want to speak into this for just a minute. But I think it's interesting because I think darkness for many of us is a scary place. It's a heavy place. There feels a lot of burden there sometimes. Darkness can have an emptiness to it. We, we don't know where we're going or where we're walking. And I thought it was interesting. When we read the account of when God created the heavens and the earth, the first thing he creates is what? Light. It says he creates light and it is good. It's almost God's way of saying, look, I'm going to light things up so that you can see and know and understand what I am creating. And when Jesus even comes to the earth, Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. You see, there was a darkness in the world. There was a darkness in religion at the time. People were trying to live out religion in a way that God had never intended. And so all of a sudden, Jesus comes to the earth, and he begins to be the light because he wants to shed light on the truth and expose the darkness that is around. And we often find that we were in darkness, and when the light comes on, man, it exposes everything. And so Jesus comes to this earth as a light of the world. But in this situation... God is getting ready again to snuff out that light. And Jesus is in a place where he's dying. You understand what Jesus is still feeling? He is feeling everything you and I feel. He is feeling the pain of nails in his hands. He's feeling the pain of scars and whips that have taken his back. He is feeling the pain of trying to get up on his feet to take a deep breath to fill his lungs with enough oxygen to keep him going for just a little bit longer. And while he's pulling himself up, he is doing that on a cross that is made of wood and it is splintered. And that's what he's rubbing his back up and down on. And he's feeling every bit of that torment and pain. And in that moment, as darkness is filling the earth, it's just an outward sign of what Jesus is feeling inwardly as well. All this outward pain he's going through doesn't compare to the amount of sin that he's taken on at that moment, at that time. And the true agony is not the physical agony. It's the mental agony. It's the agony he's feeling inwardly, knowing that I have to bear all this weight of this sin for these people that I love. I don't know about you, but I've had those moments of darkness. I've had those moments of emptiness. I've had those moments where things have just not gone my way. And there's a lot of physical things that can come about in those times. But the weight of what's going on in my mind often affects me more than the physical stuff. You know, maybe some of you just found out that you had a disease. Maybe some are going through what my mom is experiencing with cancer. And there's that physical sign of the cancer, but there's also that mental stuff that's going on as well. Will I ever be made well? Am I going to be sick? What are all the things that I'm going to go through? There's sometimes that physical thing of losing a spouse or having a spouse tell, come in and tell you that they no longer love you. And there's that physical pain, and it's because it's so much mental that you're starting to feel it physically, because all of a sudden you begin to think, did this person ever love me? Will anyone ever love me again? Will I ever get my life right? 
and it begins to mess with you. There's some of you that may have not gotten that job promotion or you, you may have not gotten, uh, maybe you've lost your job and there's that moment where you're feeling the physical pain of what am I going to do next, but it's the mental stuff of trying to figure out how do I make ends meet or how do I deal with the whole idea that they didn't like me and they chose somebody else instead of me and there is that weight and there is that darkness and there's that mental thing that we go through all the time. Recently at the altar, we've been counseling and dealing with people. We've really been recognizing that most people are coming because of anxiety. And anxiety has affected a lot of us because of the times we're living in. Some of you are affected by the wars that are going on out there in the world. Some of you are affected by higher prices. Some of you are affected so by the COVID stuff. And there is that loneliness where we haven't been able to get together and it's felt dark, and it's felt empty. And maybe just like Jesus, when you're going through those moments, maybe you felt abandoned. Jesus in that moment begins to cry out to God because he's hearing nothing. And he's feeling the weight of that sin on his life right now. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sent for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand the weight of what Jesus was taking on in that moment? He was taking on the sin of the world. He was on that cross. And for 33 years, he had God the Father's ear. He could communicate with him. He knew what was taking place. And in this moment, at this time, he feels like total abandonment as he begins to call out to God. And he begins to feel the weight of the sin on his life. And we know that it says, Scripture tells us, that God cannot look upon sin. And so God turns his head the moment that Jesus is on the cross. And Jesus is taking the full weight of that on his life right now. Now, again... I don't know if you've had moments like that where you've lived a pretty healthy life and you haven't experienced those tough times. Maybe some of you've grown up in some great situations. I know that I felt like I was always sheltered from a lot of the world. My parents really did a nice job of trying to protect us, making sure that everything about the church was great. So when I eventually became a pastor here, I have to tell you, my first three months, I almost quit the ministry. And the reason I almost quit the ministry was because I began to find out things that were going on in people's lives. I began to find out who was cheating on who. I began to find out who had lied. I began to find out who had stolen money. I began to find out all these different things. I began to find out people who had beaten their kids. And I have to tell you, in that moment of where I had been sheltered and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't what I signed up for. And I remember thinking, some of these people that I'm finding some of this stuff out about, they were saints in the church. These were people that were my Sunday school teachers. And I have to tell you, in that moment, it was overwhelming. And I remember going home to my parents and saying, I don't think I could do this. And they said, what do you mean? I said, people are messed up. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, and I, I, I mean, I just stood there crying. And I said, you know, I can't believe so-and-so and this and that. And my parents goes, Chuck, that has always been part of the church. We just try to protect you. And I can't even imagine what Jesus, who had no sin, was feeling. No sin, and then the weight of this came on him. He began to feel all that sin, all that pressure, all those mistakes that you and I make. He felt it in that moment. Jesus was on the cross because of my state, mistakes. 
He was on the cross because of your mistakes. And yet he felt we were worth it in the end. Jesus in that moment feeling abandonment. Any length of time, I think that you're a Christian. I think that all of us can identify with those moments where we just feel like there's a weight of things on us. And here's what I want you to know, because I think that Jesus gives us a great principle to learn from. But Jesus in that moment is taking on everything that we are, all the sin in our lives. And I want you to read and listen to this from Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. You see, Jesus became the high priest who would go before us and take everything on that we take on so that he would understand exactly what you and I are going through. He becomes the advocate to God the Father. And then Jesus teaches us what to do and how to respond when we're abandoned. In verse 34, he says this, And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lemas, Sabanthe, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's my God, my God, why? Why am I going through this pain? Why do I feel like my spouse doesn't love me anymore? Why did they reject me? Why did I lose my place at work? Why did I lose my family? Why are my kids so messed up? My God, my God, why? I don't get it. I mean, I've sat in the pews where you've sat. I've read your word each and every day, and I've cried out to you, and I pray to you, and God, in this moment, this time, I don't understand why, why, why? Why is the cancer affecting my body? Why is it destroying me from the inside out? Why do I have to go through all this pain when I try to be as faithful as I can be to you? Why, God, why? And it's the question that Jesus raises in this moment. He says, God, God, why? Why? And I want you to know what God teaches us, and it's this. It's okay to ask why. You don't always have to know the answer. But it's okay to ask why. Jesus was hanging on the cross. He was experiencing all that weight of the sin. And then the Bible tells us in a loud voice, he begins to cry out, my God, my God, why? And they think he's calling out to Elijah because Elijah is known as the person that can make things better. And he continues to call out. Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? He, he was questioning God as father. And I hear Christians say that we should never question God. They say you should never question God. But here is Jesus, who is our example, questioning God in this moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you allowed these things to happen? And why are we afraid to ask God? What do you think he's going to do? If you ask God why, do you think he's going to zap you? I mean, is that what's going to happen? God, why does this happen? Boom, you're out of here. Don't ask a question again. You know, I mean, think about this. This is why we call God the Father. And any parent knows that sometimes your kids ask ridiculous things. You know, and my kids can say, can I have this? And I'm going to be like, no, zap. You know, don't ever ask that kind of dumb question again. You know, we understand that we wouldn't do that as parents. So what makes you think God would do that? 
You see, the thing I think we need to know, and this is what Jesus understood, is that God is big enough to handle our questions. Samuel 20, or excuse me, Psalms 22, 1 through 2. This was a direct quote that Jesus is giving from the Psalms. Because in the Psalms, David writes this, For the director of music to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. But I find no rest. He is quoting that same verse that David did. And I have to tell you, a true abandonment is honestly this. True abandonment is hell. You know, we think of hell as the fiery place where we're going to suffer. True abandonment is to know that you can no longer have God with you. That's true abandonment. And I think that all, a lot of us can identify with that because if you remember growing up at times, there may have been a time when you were walking in the store with your parents and all of a sudden they were gone and it felt like abandonment. You were like, how am I going to get home? What am I going to do? And it's sort of a scary place to be. And God, at the end of time, there's going to be an abandonment for those who have asked him into his life. There's going to be this moment of darkness and abandonment or an issue of hell that we are going to feel. It's okay to ask why. Why? Because God's big enough to handle your question. And anything less, you're just rejecting who he really is. Acts 13, 22. I thought this was interesting too because you have to remember even David asked the question why as we showed you in Psalms there. And this is what it said in Acts. It says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He would do everything I want him to do. See, so he recognizes that David is a man after his own heart. And even David in the Psalms questions why, why, why. I want you to know it's okay when you're going through some dark times to ask God why. And in those dark times, you have a choice that you get to make. And it's a choice that Jesus had to make in that dark time of his life. See, verses 35 through 37, I think, propose this to us. You can either choose obedience or you can choose disobedience in those times. It says, when some of those standing near him heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Some ran, filled a spudge with wine vinegar, put it on his staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. You see, in those dark times that we're going through, you have a decision, and Jesus had a decision right there in that moment. Jesus could have easily said, enough's enough, like we've told you before. He could have said, bring down the angels, let's get done with this. And in that moment, it would have been a moment of disobedience. But what held him on the cross that day? What held him on the cross? It was me. And it was you. It was his love for us. And listen to this. And it was his trust in God the Father. God the Father has always taken care of me. God the Father has made sure that everything is according to his purpose. God the Father has a plan. And I have to execute this thing the way he's called it. So that we as a people might be forgiven. And in that moment, Jesus could have either chose obedience or disobedience, and he chose to trust God the Father. 
This is the way it's going to play out. And then we read that Jesus breathed his last in that moment of trust. Man, that's going all in, isn't it? To the point of death he went. What I found about this is you'll have friends and people around you when you're going through dark times and you begin to question why. You're going to have people come around you and say, why do you keep trusting in God when all this bad stuff happens? And people don't understand, do they? See the people gathered around, who did they think he was calling on? They thought he was calling on Elijah because he's the one that really helps. And yet Jesus was just in that moment questioning God. Not everyone's going to understand. But man, when it comes to true faith, you understand. And you have a real trust for God. And I want you to know, this is what God thinks about you too. He thinks you're big enough to trust as well. He thinks that in your faith moments, in your darkest times, he believes in you. And even though he may not answer why at the time, there's a trust that you and I develop that says we know that God has this at the end of the day. So how do you respond to darkness? How we respond to darkness may help others see the light. When we're at the end of this, it says the curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the son of God. You see, how we respond in dark times will end up showing people the light. What I think was interesting is this. The priests who were in the temple saw the veil that was torn from top to bottom. And again, that's another whole historical thing. But basically, the Holy of Holies, or where God reigned, was behind that big curtain. And that curtain, is said, ripped from the top, not the bottom. It wasn't like somebody took it and just ripped it from the bottom. It ripped from the top down. This was, again, a supernatural thing that only God could do. But the priests in that moment, what was their response? Their response wasn't, surely this is the Son of God. Their response was to try to cover it up was to try to hide it, was to try to make sure Jesus doesn't come back to life. They had no intention of seeing what God could do. But the centurion that was there that day, he saw the darkness fill their area. He saw Jesus beaten. He saw him mocked. He saw the nails in his hands. And he heard and he saw the things that he was saying. And in that moment... When Jesus finally breathed his last, this man's response was this. Surely that was a man of God. I often wonder how I respond in my dark times. Will people say of me, surely Chuck was a Christian. Because I saw that even when he went through the darkest times, they still held a trust in me. I wonder for you, will you stay in the dark or will you let God turn on the light for you? Once again, thanks for listening. If you are in the Marion area, we would love to engage with you at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fantastic children and student ministries, visit us at dayspringwesleyan.org. That's dayspringwesleyan.org.